Amen. Thank you so much for leading us, um, Aubrey. It is uh, great to be opening God's Word again uh, together this evening. Do open back up if you have a Bible with you to Genesis uh, 49. We're nearly there. This is our penultimate uh, evening in Genesis uh, 49. Or Genesis altogether. We'll be in the final, final passage next, uh, next week, although Steve got there ahead of me this morning if you were here. So you'll, uh, you'll, all, the, all surprises are... Uh, are long gone. But to cut to the chase, as we, as we turn to uh, Genesis 49 and into 50 this evening, we are faced with one fundamental question, I think, that we just keep bumping up against. And it's a serious one. What is it to die? But specifically then on top of that, what is it to die but with hope. You probably noticed as Stephen was reading just how much of this passage refers to death, to Jacob's death, and then to his burial. We have this uh, kind of extended focus, don't we, on this death. And to be honest, it kind of makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? In this day and age, We almost never dare speak about death, do we? And if we do, uh, often we we speak about it in passing. Or maybe we we speak about it using euphemisms to try and soften it, like the person's kicked the bucket or has passed away or gone to a better place, they're resting in peace, whatever it might be. And it's no surprise when we stop and think about it that that is the case, Because as many of us here know firsthand, death really is one of the most painful, sad things that we will ever come face to face with. Given the harshness of it, the finality of it, the grief that it brings for those left behind, the seeming unknown maybe that there might be for the one dying, it's no wonder that if you look up pretty much any study that looks at what makes us as humans fearful or anxious, Death is always right near the top. But it's into that backdrop then, that far from making us more fearful or anxious, I hope and pray that we'll see here in this passage, as we think about death, reason for that hope. Reason that even we can hope in light of our own death, or even hope for us as we grieve the death of someone close to us. This passage, I think, is going to show us and give us reason for comfort, hope, even in death and grief. And as we begin, isn't that something that we are all, deep down, really longing for? So let's get into the passage together and see this. And first of all, let's do this by looking at the person and example of Jacob, who we find in chapter 49, verses 29 to 33. And see with him what it is then to be able to die with hope. If you pick back up with me in verse 29, we find Jacob having just pronounced these blessings on his sons. He now continues on and he says this, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers. And from these words, it's clear, isn't it, that Jacob knows that his time has come. He's now enjoyed, we we read, 17 years in Egypt, reunited with Joseph. 
But as we look carefully at his words here, and then the description of his death in verse 33, well, he knows it's his time. He is not going kicking and screaming, is he? He's not going shaking with fear as we might imagine someone would. No, instead, just look with me onto verse 33. There we read these simple words. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet to the bed and breathed his last. That's a peaceful description, isn't it, if ever there was one. You can imagine Jacob, maybe right, he's roused himself to, to sit up in his bed to pronounce these blessings. And then having done that here, he simply draws up his feet back into the bed, lays down his head, and dies in peace. Now, why is that the case? How can that be the case for Jacob? Well, first it seems that Jacob can die in this way peacefully because he has hope. Firm belief, first of all, that his death will not be the end for him. We see this, if you look with me, at the repeated phrase that we read here in verses 29 and 33 of Jacob being gathered to his people. Now, at first glance, maybe we again think, well, is that just a simple euphemism for, for death? It's, it's nicer, isn't it, to think of Jacob going down into the, to the grave, being buried alongside his fathers there, going to be with them in the grave. But notice with me, if you look carefully at, at how Jacob doesn't hold his going to be with his people and his burial with his fathers together. Verse 29, we see there, I am to be gathered to my people... Bury me with my fathers. What we see here, there is no link. What Jacob doesn't say is, I'm to be gathered to my people when you go and bury me with my fathers. No, instead it appears that Jacob believes that instead, at his moment of his death, wherever that may be, that at that moment he will be gathered to his people. And this is what we also see, if you look with me again to the end of verse 33. Immediately upon his death, long before we read right, this, of this burial in this cave, the author writes again of Jacob being gathered to his people. This is the hope that Jacob had. Death for him would not be the end. But after his physical death, his spirit would go to be with the spirits of those gone before him, his father's. Now, did Jacob completely understand what this would look like? Almost certainly not. And yet it seems that God had given him some sort of understanding, comfort, that for him, because he was a part of God's people, because of his faith in him, there was more to come for Jacob, even beyond death. And if Jacob is right here, that his death is not the end for him, but instead the moment when he will be gathered to his people, well, that changes things about death, doesn't it? That really does speak hope. Hope. Suddenly there is this prospect, isn't there, for even good things beyond death. Prospects of being reunited with loved ones. Prospects of us having genuine, eternal significance. But is this just Jacob's wishful thinking then? 
Well, again, I'd say not at all. And we see this in, specific, in the specific instructions that Jacob gives in his final words here, showing that even while dying, he believes he has genuine reason for hope, hope that is rooted, grounded in his faith in God and God's promises. As we see these words, it's worth noting, isn't it, people's last words often carry extra significance, extra importance, don't they? They carry extra weight. They're almost like, you can imagine this little window, aren't they, into someone's heart as they die. Who is this person? What have they been hoping in? And Jacob's words, I think, show exactly that. They show us this hope that he has stored deep in his heart because of God, because of his promises. If you look with me at these verses, Jacob has it all planned out. Did you notice? Just the detail about where he's to be buried. He gives the exact location, right? He can't miss it. And just as important as that, he gives the story behind this location. Look at verse 30 and onwards. We read that he's to be buried in this specific cave, this specific field in the land of Canaan. That's the promised land. And then he goes on to explain that this is the cave, the field, the land that Abraham bought to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. And again, we read the background story at verse 32 again. This is the field and cave, he says, that it is in it that were bought from the Hittites. As we see this, we see a number of things. Think, we, we notice and we think it, it is, must have been important for Jacob that he be buried with his forefathers. But above all, as emphasized in what he's saying here, I think the most important thing that we see for Jacob is that he is buried in this location, this location in the promised land. This, after all, was the only plot of land that God's people currently possessed in the land of the promise. Do you notice there? It's been bought, possessed as a burying place. And as such, this site was so much more than a simple cave and a field and a burial site. It represented so much more. It represented hope. It's a bit like... Maybe when you're redecorating a room, a room maybe is horribly dark in color or whatever it might be, but then you paint onto one of the walls some sample colors, something bright, something that will make the whole room feel much more light and airy. So when you then next go into the room, even before you get to painting the rest of it, you can fix your eyes, can't you, on those sample patches. They give you hope. They're a taster, a sign, a reminder of the good, the light, the brightness that's to come. Well, so it is, I think, with this little plot of land. It's a taster, a reminder, a sign, a guarantee, as it were, that one day the whole outlook for God's people would change. And they would possess so much more than this little plot of land. They would possess the whole of the land of Canaan and dwell in it. How could Jacob be sure of that? Well, because God had promised to him that that would be the case. 
It's what we've been seeing, haven't we? Again and again, these promises in Genesis. And Jacob has become convinced, hasn't he? He's seen with his own eyes that what God promises, he always brings about. As we were thinking about a few weeks ago, as we just sang, God flowers each and every promise of his word. He brings it to full bloom, and it's no different here with the promised land. And so as Jacob dies, as we can see from his words here, he dies with hope, in faith, in anticipation, we could say, of what he knows is to come. That one day, it will not just be his body that is found in this little small corner of the land of Canaan, but that the entire land will be filled with God's people as they come into full possession of it. Hebrews 11:21 reflects on Jacob's life and particularly Jacob's faith. We read there that when dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. That's something we considered a few weeks ago. But again here, I think in these final words, as we dig into them, look at the details here, I think these final words are evidence of this same faith as well. Jacob dies not only worshipping his God, but trusting in his promises. In particular, this promise regarding the promised land. And of course, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, the author of Hebrews has also a little bit earlier given us a pointer an even bigger view, bigger perspective that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and others were holding on to when they spoke about this promise of the promised land. While they didn't see it clearly then, what it would mean, we read there that their faith went further than just a hope for a return to that land, to that promised physical land of Canaan. But their hope was for a better country. We read in Hebrews, their hope was for a heavenly one. A heavenly country where they would one day dwell. And in this way, we see an even better hope for Jacob than just the fact that death is not the end. Even more than that, as he died, he was hoping for, looking ahead to this better country to come. That God had promised to him that one day he too would inherit along with all of God's people. And this reality is what we see made clear in the New Testament much more clearly, isn't it? Listen to how Peter puts it in 2 Peter 3, verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Or if you're part of a small group, we're there on Wednesday. Think of what we read in Philippians 3. Steve mentioned it this morning. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. So remembering that that is true, just as Jacob then could die in hope, so we too today are in the same situation, the same position. We can die with hope. Remembering that just as for Jacob, death is not the end. And we can die with hope, putting our faith in God's promises. God's promises to us that one day that Savior, that Christ will return. And when he does, we will be raised with him, dwelling with him forever in this new heaven and new earth, the holy city, the new Jerusalem. 
That is our hope this evening. That is a hope that transforms death, doesn't it? That is the hope that means that while we still feel the pain of death, as we'll see in just a minute, death does not need to be that thing that we try to ignore, push away from us for as long as possible. That is the thing that changes death, that means it's not something that we never speak of. That is the thing that changes death, that means it is not something we need to live in constant fear of. No, instead... If we are trusting in Christ, this is the hope that means we can look death in the face and say, you will not be the end for me. Because I have a good and faithful God who has promised to lead me through death, to lead me to my true home, when we'll be with our God forever. That's the life-transforming hope we find in Christ. And of course, that's what we need to think about now, isn't it? What is it then? If this is, this is the hope that we can have, how do we claim that for ourselves? How do we claim that for ourselves this morning, that each of us truly can say, that is my hope? And the answer to that question, again, we need to know, look no further than the example of Jacob, his example of faith. After all, we can be sure it wasn't that Jacob lived a perfect life. If you've been tracking with us, we, we see even before the sections we've been in, but even in the sections we have, Jacob has not lived a perfect life. He's lived a life of trickery, of deception, of unhealthy favoritism. But in amongst that, God has been at work. God in his grace has been changing Jacob. God in his grace has been growing this gift of faith that we see him have this evening. And it's that same gift of faith, through that same gift of faith, that we this evening can have this hope. Today, of course, we have the great benefit of being able to look back on and see the exact manner in which God has made it possible for us to have that hope, that that death is not something to be feared. Through the gift of Christ, as we've spoken about, his coming, his perfect life, his death and his resurrection. Today, as the New Testament makes clear, time and time again, it is through faith in God's Son, the Lord Jesus, and only through that, that we find ourselves forgiven. We find ourselves declared righteous, no longer coming into judgment on our death, but instead being welcomed into the presence of our God forever. And so we have to ask ourselves this evening, where does that leave each of us? First of all, we have to ask ourselves, is this a hope that you know yourself? As we just said, it is only through faith in Christ, through trusting in him, that we can claim these good promises, that one day Christ will return and we will rise to be with him. It's what we sang earlier, isn't it? Our hope as a Christian, as someone trusting in Christ, is that when we reach our final day, He will not leave us in the grave, but we will rise. He will call us home. The Lord is our salvation. There is no hope in death apart from faith in Christ. Apart from him, death really actually is something to be feared. Because with it will come judgment. We'll face the full weight of God's just judgment against us. 
But with Christ, that judgment is turned away. He's taken it for us, in our place. This evening, is that the hope that you have? And if it isn't, come to Christ. Come to Christ and find this hope for yourself, knowing that not only will it give you hope in death, but it will also then, as a result of that, give you freedom to live each day to the full, here and now too, living freedom from that otherwise looming fear of death, death that will inevitably come for all of us. And what about for us, those of us this evening who have already put our faith in Christ? What can we take from all of this? Well, first, again, that simple reminder, the simple reminder that this is your hope. This is your hope this evening. For you, too, death will not be the end. For you, too, because of Christ, when you die, it will actually, as Paul puts it, be better by far for you. Death will not snatch all the good things of the world away from you. No, you will go to be with your Savior forever. And then one day, on his triumphal return, you will live enjoying all the best the best things of earth, on the new heaven and the new earth, new heaven and new earth which will not be plagued by sin, by suffering, by sadness. Just remember that again this evening. If you're a Christian, that is your hope. That is your future. That's what waits you. And as each of us personally remembers that hope and looks to rest and rejoice again in it, let's not forget also that we have been placed here together with others who we can look to encourage with this truth too. As we continue to go through hard things here on earth, things that get us down, that discourage us, that hurt us, that leave us frustrated or sad, let's remember to together remind ourselves we are only pilgrims here on earth, just like Jacob was in this foreign land of Egypt. Our true citizenship is in heaven. That's where we're waiting to go. When we get there, there will be no more hard things. So we press on, encouraging each other with this hope. Jacob's example here is striking, isn't it? As we see it, he dies peacefully, comforted by, and by faith, hoping in God's promises to him and to his people. Let's pray that when our time comes, we will have that same faith and hope in God's promises as he leads us home. But of course, as positive and hopeful as all of that is, as we look on at the rest of our passage then this evening, we then find ourselves face to face with the other painful side of death, the reality of just how hard death still is for those who are left behind. We read here of the grief that death brings. We see this immediately if you look with me to Joseph's reaction in chapter 50, verse 1. Jacob has just peacefully passed away, hoping in the Lord. And yet there we read this, don't we? That after his father's death, Joseph falls on his face and weeps over him and kisses him. For any of us here this evening who have lost a loved one, someone close to us, We totally understand this reaction, don't we? 
death is desperately sad. That person who we loved and cared for and who loved and cared for us is suddenly taken from us. We find ourselves powerless to do anything about it. And Joseph's reaction here, I think, first of all then, is just a reminder, an affirmation for us this evening that it is right, it is okay to feel genuine, intense grief and sadness in a moment like this. It's inevitable, isn't it? Even as Christians who have this hope that we've just been spending so long thinking about, death is still something that is so sad because it brings sad things, a gaping hole in our lives. The loss of relationship, the loss of love, the loss of support, the memories, the memories of times we have spent with the loved, our loved ones who we've lost. They're precious, aren't they? But they're also a reminder that we won't have opportunities to share in those same future moments again. And all of that is to say that, as many of us know, understand, death brings with it sadness and grief. And that's right. And notice in our passage that it isn't just Joseph who's sad. Look at what we read at the end of verse 3. Joseph, Jacob, it seems, must have come to be very respected, much more widely, right, than just uh, amongst his family. We read verse 3 that the Egyptians wept for him for 70 days. Now that's grief and mourning, isn't it? Then verse 10, that when all the, father, all the household of Joseph, his brothers, his father's household, along with this large number of important Egyptians, when they all come to this threshing floor of Atad, what do we read? That they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. Joseph making mourning for his father seven days. As we've said, seeing this level of emotion, this sadness, this grief should remind us that we are okay to allow ourselves to feel like that too when we're faced with death. We don't need to just brush past it as if nothing has happened, feel bad about not doing that. It is desperately sad. But of course then our passage points us in another direction too. It points us and teaches us, I think now through Joseph's example, what it is to be those who do genuinely grieve while also remembering that we are those who grieve with hope. Look with me now as we just kind of glance through these verses from chapter 50, verse 2 onwards. First and above all, we see this grief with hope in how Joseph, even in the midst of that grief, fully carries out his father's wishes, doesn't he? Just think with me of Joseph's situation after his father's death. Yes, Jacob has just laid out for him, hasn't he? This long list of instructions. But now with Jacob gone, Joseph is left with a choice, isn't he? In some ways, he is free now, isn't he, to do whatever he wanted. And two things just to factor in here, in case you're wondering. It really was quite a big thing that Jacob was asking for, wasn't it? It was going to take a big effort to get his body back to this cave and field. It was a long, long, long journey. And also this. This was all going to be a bit awkward for Joseph. You can imagine it, right? As someone answering to Pharaoh, 
he would have to go to Pharaoh to ask permission to do this. And what kind of message is that sending? Sorry, Egypt, well, it's not really good enough to bury my father in. We're heading back off to our own land to do that. As I say, it's a big effort. It's a bit risky. But we see here that Joseph is determined to do it, isn't he? That's why I think in verse 2, he commands that these physicians embalm Jacob, not just because that's routinely what happened in Egypt, but also because this is what would then allow for his body to be taken on this journey, that it would be preserved for the journey. And we see him press on then and graciously ask Pharaoh to allow him to, take, to carry out these wishes. In verse 4, he asks indirectly, doesn't he, through these members of the household, and we read that Pharaoh grants that request in verse 6. And the question is, why does Joseph do all of this, go through with Jacob's plan? Surely, above all, because he is holding on to the same hope that his father had. After all, far from being a nuisance for Joseph, far from being a burden to him, what Jacob has actually asked Joseph to do is surely something that he longed to do himself, to remember to remember that Jacob's death was not the end for his family. Life would go on. And that in amongst all of that, God would still be carrying out his good purposes for his people. In many ways, this going up from Egypt, do you notice that how often the word go up appears there? Here we read, go up, went up, went up, gone up. All this going up is a clear reminder of this promise that one day God would take his people up to this land, as we've said, to possess it in its entirety. That is their inheritance. It's a picture, isn't it, of what will happen at the Exodus. And as Joseph, his brothers, and all the family make this trip along with these Egyptians, what would they have been talking about? Imagine it with me. Sure, as, it, as normal in this kind of case, surely they're re- reminiscing, talking about their father, the memories, but also surely wondering this. This is our hope. One day, we, our people, will be making this journey again. When will it be? When will it be that God will give us this land? This little plot, right, is that taster. One day we'll have it all. It will be given to us. It will be a gift of God. It will be that land that we will dwell in. And looking on at this, reading this, while each of us personally, I guess, are unlikely to have to make a trip like this, thankfully, when someone close to us dies, what we see enacted here, a pressing into, a holding fast to, a remembrance of the sure and certain hope that we have in God and his promises. I think it's a reminder that that is what we can do too in the midst of death, the death of a loved one who is trusting in Christ. We can remind ourselves and hope in the fact that our good God is sovereign and that he has promised good to us, good to us that even though we may not see it now, he will work to bring about. 
We can stop and remind ourselves and take comfort and hope in the fact that as we grieve, God's promise remains true that he will never leave us, never forsake us, but will hear us as we call out to him. And he will comfort us and he will lead us through that valley. But above all, specifically here in relation to death and what we've seen this evening, the pain and the grief that comes with it, we can allow a passage like 1 Thessalonians 4 to be something that we turn to, to remind us of the hope that we have in the midst of death, of God's promise to us today too. Here's how Paul puts it. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. That is the hope that we have for ourselves and also for our loved ones, for those closest to us, trusting in Christ. Paul here in so many ways sums up, I think, what we see Joseph doing, remembering the hope we have. Grieving, yes, but not as others who have no hope. Just look with me. I think we see in this passage that, yes, we see Joseph grieving, but as we come towards the end of the passage, we see that Joseph's grief hasn't led him to this all-out despair, has it? Look there at the end of our passage, verse 14. We see it simply stated there that after all of this, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers who had gone up with him to bury his father. Here is someone grieving, yes, but now, because of the hope, ready to go back, and we presume go on serving Pharaoh and doing his work in Egypt, not buried in despair, but with hope. And we'll see again next week another thing of why he's not despairing. Because as always with Joseph, his eyes are fixed on his God, the one who he can hope in, the one who (coughs) he knows is above everything, the one who will work good for his people. See, having God in the picture, that changes everything, doesn't it? With hope, gives us hope in death. Paul reminds us of that, doesn't he? In Romans 8, do you remember those famous words? That nothing, not even death, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And doesn't that give us that hope? That even as we grieve the loss of a loved one who's trusting in Christ, we grieve with hope. Because those who die trusting in Christ die in hope. They die with hope. Do you know that it is true? If you have lost someone close to you who is trusting in Christ, not even death has separated them from the love of God in Christ Jesus, their Lord. That's the reality that both Jacob and soon Joseph would go on to fully know after their deaths, when they would go to be with the Lord because of their faith. And that is the reality that we today can cling on to, even amidst the pain that we genuinely feel of the death of loved ones around us. But finally then, 
as we come to a close this evening, remembering that we are those who, through faith in Christ, can die in hope, can grieve with hope. A final challenge. Let's also look to go out from here following Jacob and Joseph's example in one other way. Being those who tell others about the hope that we have. See, what do we see here in these final words of Jacob? We see his hope, don't we? But we see him testifying and powerfully pointing others to that hope too. He knows here that he is reminding his sons, isn't he, of this hope and everyone else who would act on these final wishes. And notice in the case of Joseph too, that as they go on this long journey, as we mentioned, it isn't just him, is it? But all of these other Egyptians, these important Egyptians, elders of the Pharaoh's household and of the land, these chariots, these horsemen, they go with him. What an opportunity again for Joseph as they make this journey, as they head to the promised land to again witness to why they're making this journey, why they didn't bury their father in Egypt, but are going to this land because it points to that promise and it brings us back to our God who, has, who gives us hope. It's hard to imagine, isn't it, how quickly the name of God and the hope that Joseph has in him, that we've seen all of the rest of our, our um, series here, that he wouldn't have taken this opportunity. It's appointed to these Egyptians too, to whoever else would listen, why they're making this journey of the hope that he has. And of course, we today have the same opportunity, don't we? God has placed us as pilgrims here in a foreign land, as it were, so that we too can bear witness to the hope that we have to those around us. A hope that whether the people we're speaking with know it or not, whether they would admit it now or not, a hope that deep down really is the hope that they so desperately need and want. We began with this question. What is it to die with hope? Well, we've been reminded this evening that it is to die trusting in, putting our faith in God, in Christ and his promises. That is what changes death. That is what transforms it from being an enemy, a real enemy to be feared, to being something that we can even learn to embrace and have hope in the midst of. This evening, let's rest and rejoice in that hope, that life-transforming, that death-transforming hope that we have been given in Christ. And then let's look to go out there into the world around us and share that hope. Share that same hope with those who will see this week, this month, the rest of our year, whether that's at home, in our workplaces, with our colleagues, our friends, our families. We have a hope. Let's rejoice in it and go tell people about it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the hope that we have, even in death. Lord, thank you that for those trusting in Christ, death will not be the end. Because we have your promises, Lord. Promises that one day you will return and bring us to be with yourself forever. You will not leave us in the grave, but we will rise. We will be with you, Lord. We thank you for that hope. 
We thank you for that hope, even as we think of loved ones who have, have died trusting in you. Lord, we thank you that they today are with you in paradise. And Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, we ask that you would strengthen and help us. That as we look at the example of Jacob here, someone dying in hope, whenever that moment will come for us, Lord, would you have us and hold us fast to yourself? Would you give us that faith that we would hold on to this hope to the very end? And Lord, give us boldness. Give us boldness to go out from here, holding out this hope to the world around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to uh, finish by singing this song by faith. We see the faith here, don't we, of Jacob. This is a faith that we today can have too. And we, in this song, we'll see the hope that we have. The longed-for Messiah would appear. He had the power to break the chains of sin and death as he rose, and we will rise with him. Let's stand and sing together.
Amen. Let's close with these triumphant words from 1 Corinthians 15. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.